This episode of That Song From That Movie is coming up after this. Music! Everyone loves it. But who listens to the lyrics? We do. She doesn't live in a shantytown. She lives in capital S shantytown. <laughs> yeah. You put patches from old shantytown on a resume, <laughs> you're not getting that job, you know what I mean? On the Story Song Podcast, we break down the lyrics you've heard a thousand times. Go so, to Barnes and Noble, 20 bucks, farming for dummies. Right. <laughs> Chapter one, don't farm at night. Chapter two, don't farm in the winter. <laughs> yeah, the index is just like blizzard. See also, don't. We also look at the history of the song. So the monster matches on the R&B jazz. <laughs> Clearly it should be on the monster chart. <laughs> oh, it was, it was number one on the monster chart. Oh, okay, okay, okay. The Story Song Podcast. Find it wherever you download podcasts. They may be our first, last, and only line of defense against the worst scum of the universe, but what they can do? Make a good sequel. We break down Men in Black 2 on today's That Song from That Movie. Eeny, meeny. Miney Mo. Miney Mo. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Thank you for joining that song from that movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. I am your deneuralized host, Dietrich, and today we're joined by old and busted Alex. Oh, that was my um, <laughs> that, that's my final line. I'm going to have to come up with a new one now. Let you know, what did I have? I had uh, old busted hotness. Is that what Ben's going to be? Have I stolen it? You thunder that. Well, close. <laughs> and we're also joined by the new hotness, oh, the new Ben. <laughs> I am the new kid on the block. It's all positive for you now, going forward. Yeah, then. it should be. That's the thing. All you do is you raise it, you express your opinions, and you get better treatment. That's how it always works. So, so does it mean that me and Ben combined are all the busted hotness? Yeah, yeah, sure. It was, it was our, <laughs> it was our tag team at school, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, what have you guys been watching this week? Oh, we watched the uh, Pursuit of Love on BBC on Sunday, which was interesting. Uh, we've also started watching The Sopranos from the very beginning. I've never ever watched The Sopranos. Is it any no, good? No, me neither. It is good. I think it's um, it's a bit of a slow burn. Yeah, and I think it's one of those shows where everyone's like, "Well, you have to make it through like the first few seasons." <laughs> I, like every it's such a terrible, <laughs> terrible <laughs> caveat for any show that you say, "Oh, you have to get through the first two seasons, then it gets really yeah. good." I don't think it's quite true with this one because I think the first two seasons, which is all we've watched so far, are very good still. But I think like it's. It, you have to kind of make it to the end to like look back on what you've achieved in watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like that with Dexter. Yeah, exactly. It's stuff like that where you just like you make it to the end and you're like, yeah, you know what? That was an achievement. <laughs> yeah, I've always meant to watch. Yeah, I've always been meaning to watch The Wire for the similar reasons. Everyone always says it's so amazing, like one of the best TV shows of all time, and I've just never gotten around to it because it's quite a few seasons. Yeah, exactly I, we watched the first episode of that once. And then, like, I found out since that all anybody ever says is you have to make it to the second episode. <laughs> I've never committed to The Wire because I've been worried to be one of those guys that are like, you've not seen The Wire. Yeah, just don't bring it up. Fortunately, it was so long ago now that it, we're often not the uh, social pariahs for not having seen The Wire until this podcast episode goes out. And then the Twitter comments are, have you not seen The Wire? Oh, I forgot to do my oh, bit of ASMR. Ooh. Oh no, I sprayed nice. all over myself. Oh no! That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, some no. more ASMR. Oh, it's all for, over for the laptop. <laughs> oh no. Oh gosh. Quick kitchen roll. <laughs> just, just, He's actually gone. Just keep listening. <laughs> 
I don't know what the title the title of that ASMR video would be. It would be like a <laughs> pasty northern man explodes can of um, what is it? Oatmeal milkshake ale. Oh god, that sounds awful. <laughs> well, I've not had a sip yet, so it best be worth it after this. Are you like sucking it out of the key? Oh and god, it's out? gone everywhere. Anyway, D, have you seen anything? <laughs> Yes, so I watched a film this week, Shock Horror, Ooh. that isn't Men in Black 2, it's Men in Black International. Yeah. Oh. Uh, well, better than, better than this, better than Men in Black 2. Is it? Oh wait, Men in Black International, sorry, I'm thinking of Men in Black 3. Yeah, yeah, Men in Black 3 is definitely better than Men in Black 2. Men in Black International, it's because it dropped on Netflix, and I, I wasn't going to actually properly pay to see it. I thought, I could finally give it a go, and uh, those reviews were not wrong. It is so. It's aggressively bland. There's nothing to it, and spoilers. The twist is obvious within the first five minutes because it's Liam Neeson. Yep, he was Oscar Schindler. Is that is that the twist? <laughs> no, it's not. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be a weird crossover, wouldn't it? So today's episode is black suits coming. Open brackets. Nod your head. Close brackets. By Will Smith from the movie Men in Black Two. Respect the brackets. Respect the brackets. So to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out, it's my turn this week. So I'm taking you back to July 2002, which is when the 89th edition of the prestigious cycling Grand Slam, the Tour de France, took place. <laughs> Departed from Luxembourg and the grueling race ended with no one crowned the winner because if you ask the UCI, Lance Armstrong was a dirty drug cheat. Well, he was that. But he did, he did motivate... The average Joe's to winning the Las Vegas Open. So, you know, he did that. <laughs> <laughs> Something decent on his record, yeah. at least. He was declared the winner back in July 2002 because he's a big cheater, Rue, is what I've written here. <laughs> I didn't mean that to rhyme. Uh, I, I, thought, I thought you'd written that to make it rhyme. <laughs> it's weirder that you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I just put big, a big cheater, Rue, Lance Armstrong. It was in the middle of his eight or nine consecutive. Tour de France wins in a row. But really, I never got my hands on one of those yellow Livestrong bracelets, so I'll never forgive him for that. <laughs> That's his true crime. We just had fake ones that we got from the market. <laughs> <laughs> Livestrong. Yeah, yeah, live. <laughs> live strong, yeah. yeah. And interesting, and that's not going to be the last time the market comes up in this episode, but we'll, uh, interesting. we'll, we'll, we'll move on. Uh, what's also interesting was the big news story in Peru. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, said no, but never. <laughs> well, I mean, what's a new segment without a story about Peru? Yep. <laughs> 25 people are killed and over 100 injured in a fire caused by a set of bartenders trying to do tricks while making drinks. I'm laughing already. Yeah, so obviously it's a tragic story. <laughs> yes. so, but my question to you guys is, does anyone actually like those bartending flips and tricks? Because to me, I just want my drink. Or, or I want them to smash it. Yeah, if it goes wrong, I'm there for that. Yeah, I'll clap, I'll clap that. Yeah, or, or give it, give a way, one of those. I'll <laughs> yeah. give one of those, I'll throw one of those out there. But They, just, they go on way too long. If someone's going to do like a quick trick and then pour it, oh wow, cool. But it's like those, you see those uh, those videos online of those, um, it's like Turkish ice cream sellers, have you seen them? When they pour oh, it, God, when they're, they're so holding annoying. the cone and they pour the ice cream on it and then the cone comes and takes away and it takes them yeah. like a good sort of five minutes to actually get the ice cream. God, that'd annoy me. I, I just walk away. I'd lick their hand. <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> Give me back my ice cream. So at the cinema, you could see such films as Alex's favourite Eight-Legged Freaks. Ooh. The Hey Arnold movie. Yeah, yeah. 
Austin Powers in Goldmember. Oh, God, this is a good year. And a little film called The Crocodile Hunter Collision Course, starring the late, great Steve Owen. I mean, what a year. What, what a month. <laughs> was, was, what a month, Alex. Yeah, what a month. Because I was going to say, wasn't this the month that the Scooby-Doo movie also came out? But I think actually that must have been just before. Because I was I wanted to go see Goldmember, but I was forced to go see the Scooby-Doo movie instead. How old were you? Well, we were 12. I was think. Goldmember oh, a 12? Goldmember was a 12, eh? No, you, been, you would, would have been 11? Yeah, maybe it would have been, yeah, so maybe it was 11, So because Goldmember was a 12, eh? That's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> no, I was a 12, eh? What a smoke Yeah, it would have been 11. What a smoke cabbage. How, that's, how that line wasn't in AFI's 100 years, 100 quotes. <laughs> oh. But most importantly, July 2002 saw the release of Men in Black 2. So, directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, the same person from the first one, and I think the guy that did Wild Wild West as well, in between. Oh god. Explains a lot. <laughs> Does, doesn't it? Men in Black 2 follows the events of the fantastic Men in Black 1. Uh, go and listen to that episode if you haven't already. I think we can all agree that was one of our best ones. Mm, top 30. I mean, they're all they're all the best. They're all the best. They're all number one. They're all best. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, anyway, Will Smith's Agent J uncovers a world-ending plot mastermind by Selena, played by Lara Flynn Boyle, who is a Kylothian monster who disguises herself as a lingerie model, because that is how you sell the movie to 11 and 12-year-old boys without the internet. Alex, for example, at the time. <laughs> well, I didn't go to see... Well, you, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to that. Not not literally, but we'll come on to roughly what you were talking about. I know, I find, I now know what you're on about. Do you? If it involves your caravan. <laughs> it does involve the caravan. Because <laughs> I, I was there. Were you? Yes, because that's one of my anecdotes for this. Oh, well, I'll Okay, you okay I'll, I'll crack on and get his synopsis out of the way. So she's joined by a henchman Scrad, played by Johnny Knoxville. Together, they take over the MIB building, take it fully hostage, and there's only one person Agent J can turn to, his former MIB partner in crime, the neuralized Agent K, played by Tommy Lee Jones. So before we begin unpicking this movie and everything like that, what are generally your feelings about this one? It's terrible. There you go. It's it's not a very good oh, film. Let's move on to the song. <laughs> you heard this it here first, folks. A very good film at all. I couldn't believe on rewatching it how bad it actually was. Yeah, uh, it was like it was like uh, it was like aggressively terrible. It's just at every turn, <laughs> it was it was plain bad. There's like. I mean, I have written some notes to try and, like, clarify with my own mind what it was that made it so bad. I mean, I think the main first problem is that there's no, there doesn't seem to be any real plot to this film. And if there is, I certainly didn't understand it or care at all about any of it. Um, I feel, I mean, we'll, we'll obviously come on to the song, but I actually feel the, su- the song summarises the narrative better than the film does. Well, yeah, definitely. I've literally written that entire note down <laughs> that the, the song does the plot better than the film. Yeah, yeah. In and, the space of six minutes. Yeah, in the space of well, yeah. I mean, in the space of just that one verse. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was like a few, I suppose, comic moments, maybe. And I think like Will Smith is really carrying this film. He's like trying his best to keep it on the rails. Um, yep. But he, there's so many things. Like, there's a romantic subplot. Which it just has no substance whatsoever. It makes no sense why, why, where it comes from. I, I really couldn't care about Jay's loneliness. I think that that's another issue I had with it. Okay. We spent half the film trying to um, recover Kay's memory, which was just irritating more than anything. 
I think they should have got that over within the first five minutes, if possible. Mm, mm. It's so frustrating. Yeah, and and I think I think actually my main problem, other than the fact that I couldn't really follow the narrative at all, it it just seems like rather than making the big bad Serena actually threatening, all they kind of do is they bring her back three times from, from apparent death, um, and just that's just so they can kill her again. They seem to seem to kill her like three times, but but not with any degree of difficulty. She's just kind of there for the first forty, well, probably an hour. Then they kill her three times in succession. Yeah. And it's so easy. It's just so easy. There never actually seems as well to be any threat to Earth whatsoever. Like they keep telling us, like, oh well, we've only got so and so amount of time left to, you know, before the world ends. But you just never believe it because all she ever does the entire film is sit inside uh, the Men in Black headquarters and not do much. So yeah, I had a lot of problems with this film. You can tell. Okay, what about you, Ben? Yeah, um, I kind of was drawn to what Alex said in a previous podcast episode about, I think he said it about Toy Story 2, in a sequel where they just unlearn everything they learned in the first film, because, you know, it's supposed to be this sort of... Um... Oh, Kate relearns in this film. <laughs> Shut up, sure. But it's that thing, isn't it? It's like there's a cathartic ending. You know, Kate kind of retires because he's had his last job. He's found his successor. Jay's love interest kind of joins the, uh, the Men in Black. That kind of sums up. And they're just like, she wanted to go back to the morgue, said nobody ever. <laughs> <laughs> How lazy is that? How lazy is that? She wanted to go back to the morgue. Oh, yeah, of course. Also, then, yeah, uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character, he has the secret to this thing, so we're going to have to get him back. They also repeatedly criticise Jay, Will Smith, for neuralising him, even though they've got a de-neuralizer. <laughs> it's just easy, quick, get him back. Make all this big deal about, you know, how dangerous and how bad that is. Yeah, over and done with straight away. Um, I just think, yeah, it's just really lazy. There's no there's no development. There's no plot change. Like Alex said quite interestingly about the loneliness. They do that really well in the first film. I think when Jay's having to decide whether to join Men in Black and knowing that any success, you know, it's all altruistic. No one will ever know. He'll never get that praise or that adulation. He just has to do it for the sake of the job for saving people and like those moments where he's just like sat you know looking out over new york or even when he walks into the building it's just so vacuous you get that feeling that it's just kind of he's so isolated and alone this one they just rush over it (laughs) they really don't care i don't know what they were wanting or doing they dump all the exposition in the first five minutes through that like 1960s like tv episode sort of that bit's pretty cool actually i I think think it's well done I actually do think that that's a high point. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the first yeah, few minutes know. of the film, yeah, <laughs> and then the way it's it a high point later. that you still trip over. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. It felt awkward because it didn't seem to really make any sense. I, d- I don't get how the TV show was made. Like, how did they, this person making the TV show, know about any of it? Because it was pretty, you know, relatively accurate to what actually happened. Except it was raining, of course. <laughs> Except it was raining. <laughs> and Will Smith, Will Smith's still good. Like, you know, it was that point in his career where he was still gold dust. You know, he. Even Wild Wild West, he kind of pulls through. But yeah, it's poor. It's really poor, especially after the first one. I think he even brings that film down a bit. Yeah. Well, for me, as a child, I remember really liking this one. I knew it wasn't as good as the first one, which I thought was incredible. But I still thought it was really good. Yeah, but as a kid, as a kid, I liked putting things on my nose, so you don't trust well, kids. Yeah, I saw, I was say, like the things like the Bolchinian, for example. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I'm laughing already. As a, as a, like a 10 and 11 year old, that absolutely slayed me. That was the funniest shit I'd seen since like Ace Ventura talked out of his ass. <laughs> it was, it was incredible. Then I remember watching it again when I was like, I don't know, 20, 
and thinking, oh God, this is awful. <laughs> what was I thinking? I don't know, I just left. Today I watched it again and now I've sort of settled somewhere in the middle of the bits with Will Smith and Tom Lee Jones together are okay. Yeah. yeah. The plot's a bit of a <laughs> mess and the villains are dull. But, you know, Tom Lee Jones and Will Smith have good chemistry. So we've got that. That, that guy, the, all the way through the first one, they have all those, like, really, um, you know, like, people from uh, various walks of life that are the best of the best of the best, you know, they say. So. Um, yeah. And then there's that guy who's his partner at the start, who's the biggest idiot ever. Peter. There's also just a giant, yeah. <laughs> Peter. There's also that giant worm that just we just have to believe lives in the subway that no one's ever seen. The, 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 the big worm is one of the main problems I have with the film, because I feel like the first one does a really good job of sort of cementing the idea that aliens can live within society. Yeah. But then there's yep. just a giant worm in the subway. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone, and it's just, I just, I just failed to believe that no one would see it. And actually there's a point where the giant worm comes out of the, um, the yeah. drain pipe, and they don't they don't neutralize anyone. So no. so everyone's just seen that there's traffic right next. To me. Yeah, <laughs> stupid. He, o- he also neuralizes that guy just in the middle of a cafe. It's like no, he's got no care whatsoever. Yeah, he's just giving he's up. on the phone talking. <laughs> yeah, he's, they basically have they've stopped thinking about that. In a fair few scenes, if you go and watch it back, in Will Smith's sunglasses, you can see the green screen, like in at least like twenty percent of the scenes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's something about the entire film. Where the first one feels like a real world, and this one feels like a movie set. So the critical response, it would be being nice to say that the movie got mixed reviews, but it was mainly negative, with uh, 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Who was the good one? Was there a good, Was there any good ones particularly? Yes. Do you want to guess who it was from? Don't say it was Roger Ebert, please. New York no, Times. no, it was the New York Times. Yeah. <laughs> of course it was. <laughs> they enjoyed the laundry. I know what they liked about it, yeah. <laughs> well, you'd be right. <laughs> The New York Times said that the movie was pleasant and took time to describe Lara Flynn Boyle as having a seductive shape. Because what's the New York Times about a bit of blue for the dads? Oh, it's just yeah. awful. <laughs> it's the one thing this podcast has helped me learn. And it's, it's not like this is the 60s. Oh, no. Like it was before. Oh dear. New York Times for shame. One of the more recent negative reviews of this film, of course, came from Rick Sanchez in the TV show Rick and Morty. Do you remember that? I don't remember no, that. I, I mean, I must have seen it, but I don't remember that. So in the episode Morty's Mind Blowers, Rick's memory is mostly wiped out, but he can remember Men in Black 2, which he describes as a shameless cash grab and an endless string of callbacks to a previous film. <laughs> yeah, which it yep. is. <laughs> that is a shame. Yeah. Meta. The movie is a mess. I think we probably all thought that. Part of that is due to the fact the script was rewritten three separate times. Well, it was written three separate times. Once and then two, two rewrites by three different people. For example... Things just got dropped, such as Alex. What happened to Johnny Knoxville's character at the end? Yeah, I, I you know what, I thought this when I was watching it. I was like, he's not there anymore, is he? <laughs> nope. The movie literally just forgets about him. Yeah, he doesn't have an ending to the film. He's not in the final sequence. He's just forgotten about. Just like in real life. Apparently, the novelization fixes this problem, but I'm not reading a book of this shit. No, I mean, I feel like really they should have just forgotten the character from the full script because like, what's the point of him? <laughs> Literally just, he doesn't do anything. No, there's literally no point for him to be there, except they've got a guy who has two Johnny Knoxville heads, and, and Johnny Knoxville was big at the time. I feel like that is yeah. the only reason he's in this film. Yeah, this was the same year the, the first Jackass movie yeah. came out. There you go. I'll just quickly go through the script. So the first person, not the entire script, the first person <laughs> who wrote the uh, script was a guy called David Coop or Quop. He would write this, then quit because he wanted to do Spider-Man for Sam Raimi instead. Good choice. Good idea. Good choice, good choice. The second person was Robert Gordon, the guy who wrote Galaxy Quest. 
Great film. Yep. He took the script and basically makes it mostly what you see now in terms of the plot points, to which I put in brackets, what plot points? Yeah. Respect those brackets. <laughs> yeah. And then finally, Barry Fanaro, who decided um, to add a lot of pop culture references and dated, well, and now dated humour, much to the annoyance of Robert Gordon, who apparently worked really hard to make sure all the jokes were timeless. <laughs> so things like Frank the Pug singing, uh, Who Let the Dogs Out, yeah. that was that Barry Fanaro guy. I thought that um, is Adam, timeless, though. <laughs> is it? The weird ripped-on Matrix bit? Yeah. That was, uh, was Barry Fanaro. <laughs> I know, it was, oh, it was really bad. And uh, things like beatboxing to communicate with aliens, because it was like, yeah. that, that, that's cool, right, kids? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is everyone in the post office an alien? Because everyone who works for the US Postal Service is an alien. That's That was the joke, wasn't it? <laughs> that's literally the joke, that they were saying that people who work at the post office are weird. Yep. Yeah. And that's actually in the novelization. That's where Johnny Knoxville's character ends up in the post office. Uh, that's the exact same one because they didn't have many ideas. Well, you can tell. But I, w- I was just going to comment on was the length of the film. Because like 90 minutes, I feel like if this film came out now, there was no way they'd make this film that short. I feel like it would be at least two hours. And actually, I feel like yeah. if it was two hours, they could have actually they could have actually made a better, a much better film. I know that sounds weird because you think, do you want two hours of this? But mm. I feel actually at least then this, they could have made this, fleshed out the story a bit more. They could have made the bad guy actually like threatening in in some way. It, I, just, I just don't know. It's just baffling watching it and then thinking, yeah, this works. I can't I can't see how anyone who read that script, if if, if what we see the the eventual script, if what we see on screen is what was in there and think this is a story that works because it just falls down at every corner. Mm. I think it was past the point where the story actually mattered probably, uh, especially at that time. Yeah. yeah. Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you'll get when you include one. Apply today to become a member and be immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, and make sure to tell them that that song from that movie sent you. With this movie being released in 2002 and set in New York, this movie was of course affected by the September 11th 2001 attack on the World Trade Center, as in the Twin Towers. The ending of the movie had to be completely reshot, as it was filmed, well, there's conflicting reports, either on the World Trade Centers as the final sort of part of the film, or directly next to it, with that in the background as a large focal point. Like I say, conflicting reports, but basically that entire bit where Rosario Dawson's character, who I can't remember the name of. The Light. Sorry? Whatever she becomes in the light or whatever it is, that thing that we're after. Queen or something. Yeah, who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, which is like, you have to go now. Okay. And then just walks and leaves <laughs> the scene. <laughs> yeah, that entire bit, the bit that looks like it's, it really looks like it's on a soundstage, that's in- entirely reshot. And it looks it, and it's terrible. Yeah, the ending always felt off to me. I don't know why. <laughs> it did feel very much, I have to go now. Allah. Uh, what's his name? Poochie. Poochie. <laughs> it's very Poochie. Simpsons, yeah. But yeah, a lot of films had, were affected by that, interestingly. I guess when we were so young, I'm just always surprised at how sort of important it was to the skyline of New York. We were only, what, 10 when it happened? Mm-hmm. Um, I always think as a kid, I always thought like the Empire State's building, that was like the big, because it was the tallest. But yeah, it clearly was just such a big 
integral point in so many films. Uh, and as Spider-Man was obviously hanging from what it wasn't at one point. Exactly, yeah. Um, Lilo and Stitch had to refilm that entire thing because of the plane, just simple stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, well, like in the other shots of this movie, they had to go back and like digitally remove the towers. They just for that last bit, it was just too much of it, so they had to just redo it completely. Yes, unlucky. What I thought was weird is when I looked into because I found like the new story of Sony confirming that Spider-Man and Men in Black Two were going to have to have reshoots. That news was on September 12th. It was still all going on and Sony was just going, right, okay, right, we're just going to have to refilm everything. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. Sounds like Sony. <laughs> I like I like that I thought that was worth like putting out there on that day, the day afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we have to put this out there now. God's sake. <laughs> Selfish bastards. Bastards. Well, from September 11th and everything happened there, we move on to the award season where it's all nice and everything's like ugglets and glamour. Because mm-hmm. obviously... This movie and the ward seasons go together like two things that go together. My mind has gone blank. <laughs> chalk and cheese. <laughs> well, no, chalk and cheese don't go together. Uh, I don't know. Have, you ever, have you ever tried chalk and cheese? Dude? It's pretty good. I'm go- I'll go with cheese and Branston. Oh, sweet. No. I mean, I think it's a good combo. I mean, what you're saying here, D, by awards is I'm guessing the Grammys. So the Academy Awards, it got no nominations. Yeah. Yeah. The Golden Globes, it got no nominations. Okay. Actually, pretty much a good thing nowadays. But what it was nominated for was a Visual Effects Society Award for <laughs> Best Visual Effects in a Visual Effects Driven Motion Picture. Now, that's a lot of two words, visual effects, over and over again. Yeah. It's difficult to judge the visual effects in this film with a modern lens because I can't tell whether this was good or not because <laughs> it looks crap now. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's a weird mix because, like, the worms look fantastic. Oh, yeah, yeah, to be fair. Yeah, but I mean, those ones do, but the giant... They're animatronic. They have to be animatronic. (laughs) They're CGI. Yeah, they do look good. Are they? God, they must be. Yeah, Maybe it's because I'm thinking in my mind they're animatronic in the first one, they must be. Yeah, in the first one they're animatronics, but in this one they're CGI. Oh, I suppose, yeah, they're moving a lot more in this one, aren't they? They're, like, climbing on walls and stuff. Well, there's one part where, like, the top half of one of them, like, melds into the bottom half. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty impressive animatronics, if they could have managed that. Yeah, to be fair, they are good actually, but but it's weird that they got them so right and most of the other thing, uh, the film wrong. I mean, like that opening bit with the spaceship is not good. Like the reflections no. on that spaceship, are, like it literally like hurts your eyes to look at it. Just wait till we get onto the music video. <laughs> well, yeah, it didn't win the award. It lost to Lord of the Rings: Two Towers. Yeah, rightfully. So. Yeah, rightfully so. Yeah. <laughs> well, on the flip side of the award season, the movie was nominated for a Razzie. Great. Yeah. You know, again, makes sense. Laura Flynn Boyle, worst supporting actress. Oh, so good. She didn't win. I mean, not not to sound like Nikki Graham, but who is she? Who's Laura? Oh, ben, come on, right? But, but, so... but, Alex, before you say this, I also was like, I've heard the name, but I have no idea who she is. And when I saw what she was in, I was like, Alex will take this bit. Yeah, <laughs> I think she rose to fame for being in Twin Peaks because she was um, she was one of the main people in Twin Peaks. But right. she was also in one of the greatest films of the nineties, Baby's Day Out. Oh yeah, she is, isn't she? <laughs> Gosh, yeah. But she didn't actually. She didn't appear in the um, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. The film. I don't know why. And she wasn't in the new. She also didn't appear in the new series. Because she either. was killed in this film, like. <laughs> oh yeah, of course she was in it. I mean, that does check out in terms of the timings. I mean, yeah, this yeah, film yeah. did land in between <laughs> those things. So I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm done talking about this film. <laughs> yeah, I'm, it's making me. It's making me feel ill. Just thinking. Just right. So we'll move on to the song. Okay. So here we go. Black suits come in. I'm not going to do the brackets every time. Nod your head by Will Smith and 
Tranox. Yeah, uh, who? who? Tranox. Is, is that the reverb bit? I think it's the gospel bit, but yeah. Tranox. I don't know how to actually pronounce it because there's like a little hat over the A, and I don't know my language is well enough to know how to pronounce an A without no, <laughs> no language. Yeah. So before we crack on with the song, you guys better go first here because you know how I feel about this one. So what do you guys think of this song? Well, I mean, if we can, straight off the bat for comparing it with the film, it compares favorably. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I mean, I do like this song. I'm I'm not fully decided whether I prefer this song to the song from the first film, because I think they're both that good. I think what I really enjoy about this one is yeah. how he just describes what happens in the film <laughs> in, 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 in a much more coherent way than the film manages, as I've already said. Uh, he gives lines that refer to the first film. He, he gets a bit meta and he, and he comes out with my favourite line, which is, out of the depths of your imagination appears Will Smith, <laughs> which I think... <laughs> Scary is a is is a worrying thought, but I, I like it as a line in a, a song. It's not a very deep imagination, is it? <laughs> I don't know if a fully formed Will Smith appears in, in, in our my imagination. That would be quite surprising. I don't know where it would come Intrusive, from. Intrusive. So. That's all it is. <laughs> yeah, obviously as well. The nod you had is a callback to the first song, isn't it? So there's a lot of callbacks going on. But yeah, I, I liked it. I'm I'm not sure I'm as big a fan as as I, as I know that you are. <laughs> When it comes on at the end of the film, it's like a, it is a, a relief that finally I can like enjoy something again. Mm. You feel that positivity. You feel that you can you can nod your head. Yes, yeah, it's, this is a good song. To, to give a Harry Potter reference, it's like eating a bar of chocolate after the Dementors have just paid you a visit. <laughs> That's what they were going for. Yeah, Men in Black Two is like how the Dementors are described as making everything cold and sucking all the joy out of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow, very good. I just love a song that has a. Dance moves? I mean, I know this one is yeah. simplistic, but as a very uncomfortable young man on a evening out on the town, I mean, it's going to tell me what to do with my body movements. I'm not going to have to be really conscious about, wait, how do I do this? What am I doing? Or how do I move? Yeah, stick me the Macarena on. That'll do me for three and a half minutes. I can relax. Cha-cha slide? Yeah, I'm there. <laughs> Nod your head? Yep, yeah, cool. I can definitely do that one. If only nod your head got played as often as those other two. <laughs> I mean, it's all in there. Bit of Wigfield as well. It hasn't got dance moves, has it? No, but but everyone knows the dance moves, so that's fine. This one is not as good, I'd say. I know how much you love it, dude. Okay. Go on. So yeah, I did reference it in the first episode. (laughs) I did reference it in my groomsman speech. It's too late now. Yes, so it bears repeating. Nod your head. I only call it nod your head. I never call it black suits coming. So, because, you know, I'm I'm a true fan. Yeah. It's one of my most favourite songs ever. And so I guess by proxy, it is officially my most favourite movie tie-in song. So if we had some sort of bell or music effect. <laughs> the Halo music. <laughs> <laughs> You're saying this is the best movie-associated song of all time? Yeah. All right. I mean, IndieWire, I want it in an article, D. Or Sci-Fi Wire. I can, I can write in one if they want. <laughs> Sci-Fi Wire. <laughs> Yeah, I just I just absolutely love this song, know all the lyrics, and Alex knows this. When I had my car and was driving to and from work, this song had a strict no-skipping policy that no other song, even my all-time favourite song, which is Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House, not movie-related. <laughs> I was happy to skip that one, but not this one. You do not skip Nod Your Head in my old car. That's not to say I've got a new car either, but the policy would continue if I bought a car. I think just for me, like the song, it's it's more than a song. It's like an experience of music. 
like the way it starts with that guitar riff, it absolutely slaps. I don't understand how people can't go, this is, I mean, I'm strapping in for the song of a lifetime. <laughs> it has such an incredible pace. It never lets up until the last second. It's, it's the, w- the way it ends is exhilarating. It, honestly, it, when I listen to it, I get goosebumps at the end of it. I mean, I love the passion, D. I'm not. I'm never going to take away a man's love. No, I, I feel like I can't say anything else about the song at all now. <laughs> you yeah, spoke yeah, about well, it yeah. such, such love and affection. I think as well, it probably helps that this song, more than any other song, even my most favourite song, reminds me of getting my first ever MP3 player. The Zune? No, not as before that, like the little uh, USB thumb drive ones oh, where you've got right, like a yeah, dot yeah, matrix yeah, yeah. screen on the side yeah. and you can hold like 25, 30 songs. you got like eight songs on it. Or one free bird. Yeah. Is it, <laughs> is it worth having... I'm trying to think of anything from that, around that time. D12. Purple Hills. You could have that. Or if you got rid of that, there was enough space for Orson's No Tomorrow <laughs> and Daniel Powell's Bad Day. God, this is giving me uh, nostalgia vibes. God, oh, Orson. It's a great song. It's a shame it's not in a film, really. Yeah, oh God, that would be good. Yeah. Not only do I enjoy the sort of the experience of the song, it also takes me back to being an 11, 12, 13 year old. Which is great. So it, it'll always have that spot in my heart. Oh, well, I'm glad it's in there, D. Thank you. It's not, Thank it you. is hopefully nowhere in my organs, but I'm fine for it's in yours. So I'll just move on to the next bit, which is, I'll break it down. It's a rap rock uh, song with orchestral instruments and a soul singer, which I believe is Trianox. For me, all these pieces complement each other. When I was putting my notes together, and that's when I realised how close that description fits Puff Daddy's song from Godzilla. <laughs> well, like, that one was a complete mess that you couldn't hear anything. To me, these all blend together with a plum. There's definitely a similarity, isn't there? I think it's kind of like the, the sort of, like, the poundingness of it. Like, in, in, in the Puff Daddy one, I can, it, all I can visualise is him, like, wearing, like, an open shirt, banging his face towards the camera. And that's kind of, like... Similar to how the video is for this, but like you say, it's, it's a lot more. Um, I can you can actually hear what he's saying in this song, <laughs> but, yeah, definitely. And uh, and I think it's probably more intelligent. <laughs> and uh, I I enjoy the lyrics more. I felt like I didn't get much from the Puff Daddy one, although I did enjoy the weird Puff Daddy video, possibly more than I enjoyed the video for this one, because I didn't I didn't actually love the video for this one. I'll be honest. Yeah, so much CGI. Yeah, it's like it's like George like Lucas threw up on it. It's very prequels, isn't it? It's very prequels. So, yeah, we'll move on to the music video then, because unlike the first one where you could confuse it for being in the film, you ain't confusing this one because it is a shitty CGI stadium. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Couldn't even tell if the people were real. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell either. I, I couldn't tell if they were supposed to be, like, aliens or if it was supposed to be... Yeah, you should just uh, have the Eiffel 65 blue people. <laughs> <laughs> Instant improvement. Yeah. A lot of close-ups on Will Smith's face, like Alex said, with uh, the Puff Daddy video. I swear, a lot of films like this, I'm thinking, um, what's the Justin Timberlake f- uh, video where he's just dancing in a box? Rock your body. Or rock your body. Rock your body. Yeah, I think it's rock your um, body, yeah. They like, like looking at like sunglasses, you know, like watching the lights kind of like drift past them. Yeah. Well, that definitely happened in the first video as well, because I remember calling it out, because it, like, it felt so like of the time. Lots of like, strobe lighting. Yeah, and, and this is this is kind of... In the way that the film tries to replicate the first film, the video for this is sort of trying to pay a bit of a homage, but also take it to this weird CGI place that it doesn't quite work, does it? Yeah. In terms of it being a Men in Black video, it doesn't even make sense because he's supposed to be a secret agent and he's putting on like a massive <laughs> show being beamed across the galaxy. I mean, that's going to blow your cover. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I already had enough problems watching the film 
where at the end they neuralized New York via the Statue of Liberty. I didn't like that because what if you're asleep? What if you've got a taxi out of town to New Jersey for a bit? So I think that they now have the ability to neuralize the entire galaxy so he can become secret agent again. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) And in fact, actually, if they have the ability to neuralize the whole galaxy, why don't they just do that now, then tell everybody that they have to get on with each other and then put the feet up because there's going to be no problems going forward. Mm. This mm. music video, I guess, breaks the films. This links to, to what you've just talked about. So th- correct me if I'm wrong, but the end of the first film, you find out that the Earth is like on... Is it like on a ball on a dog's collar or something? Yeah, in this one, it's inside a locker. Yep. Now Who, who knows what's going on? <laughs> I, just say, I, just... I thought that was, again, one of the funnier bits, like the sort of playing with your expectations, oh, it, which, yeah. again, they did in the third one. The first one is marbles, isn't it? There's aliens, oh, it's marbles, there's aliens yeah. playing marbles with the universe. I liked, I liked it in this one, because obviously there's a reference to the other creatures in the locker. So I kind of I kind of got it, but it oh, doesn't... Oh, hell, Jay. Oh, hell, Jay. <laughs> but it doesn't link oh, to the Jay first one. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I would say that's good. I like that bit. I did enjoy the, the gag about the... Uh, the Triple X Entertainment section as well in that. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I felt like this is what I meant when I when I said at the beginning there were a few like comic moments that kind of did work. But let's just not talk about. It. I can't talk about them anymore. <laughs> okay, well, for one time only, I'm bringing back my old segment of idiots at genius. <laughs> but maybe this week, this one time only, it's going to be called geniuses at genius. Ooh. Did you write the notes for this song? <laughs> do you want to, do you want to, do you want to since it had been a while, do you want to explain what that is? So the segment used to be that the website Genius allows people to write annotations to lyrics to explain what they mean. But quite often, because they're not filtered or moderated, they are either contradictory or completely stupid or don't make any sense whatsoever. So in this case, the lyric in question is, the best looking crime fighter since myself in part one. Pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm and the people at Genius agrees, reference to himself in the first Men in Black movie. Straightforward. <laughs> it's almost as good as that time where they just put a song. <laughs> <laughs> Which is my all-time favourite. Uh, I think my favourite is still the, uh, a reference to Chad Kroger's breakup with Avril Lavigne <laughs> was in, <laughs> in a Spider-Man song, even though they hadn't even started dating <laughs> at the time when the song came out. But we all know that, Nick, that Chad Kroger can see into the future, so that, that checks out. <laughs> Yeah, that's so Kroger. That was a TV show that he had at the that's time. That's so Kroger. I would have watched that. So that concludes our look at Men in Black 2. I mean, Thankfully. actually, one so thing ben... we do need to talk about with the film before we move on to the uh, top five. God. Well, no, because we referenced it at the beginning, and I feel like now I have to explain why I mentioned the market. Oh, yeah, cough, cough. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, yeah, of course. Because we never went into it. So my, I don't know what you're going to say about this, Ben, but all I was going to say is that I don't remember seeing the film at the cinema, but we did have a sort of shaky Blu-ray Blu-ray down at the market (laughs) yeah Witherin's market on the on the uh, Yorkshire East Coast we definitely had a shaky cam version that we purchased from there where you probably have people walking up and down in front of the screen for half the film people leaving halfway through Alex, because the the first time I went to your caravan that's what came back and we watched it did it? yeah uh, we'd awesome. come back from a swimming somewhere like a swimming pool place. yeah yeah Witherensea there you go there you go see yeah there was a swimming pool a leisure centre and then there's another the second time I went we went to the cinema to see Van Helsing so vastly um, not superior film but <laughs> whoa, whoa I would say it's a vastly superior film I love Van Helsing doing top five <laughs> from Van Helsing to the top five so obviously we were doing nod your head the black suit's coming and I was thinking Will Smith's a very stylish man in this the men in black are quite stylish but who do the suit the best? So 
okay. in movies, and I've looked at various websites and congealed, added them up, divided, subtracted, congregated, all these fake things that I'm pretending I'm doing to make a realistic list of the top five suits in movies, whether that's through looks, through fame, through just renown, can be any of those things. So we are talking like official, we're not talking like like superhero suits, like costumes. No, like, like actual sort of man in suits. Right, okay. I mean, there's one obvious choice, which I'm sure will be on the list. It's a little film that I like to call, because it's the name of the film, Tuxedo, starring Jackie <laughs> Chan. You know what? Surprisingly, it came up in no list on it. <laughs> And until until you mentioned it, I forgot it existed. <laughs> Do you remember that film? Yeah, it was good. Was it? Was <laughs> no, it? No, it wasn't. Men in Black. Uh, Men in Black is not in the top five. I mean, it's got to be some James Bonds. Which James Bond has the best suit? I mean, I... which James Bond wore it best? Is I would say Sean Connery with the white tux from from Russia with Love. Interesting. D, what would you say? Which Bond wore it best? Daniel Craig in Casino Royale. Is that right? No, it was it was Daniel Craig though. It was Daniel Craig in Skyfall at number four. As in when he jumps on the train. I have no idea what scene it is. It just it kept coming up in loads of lists. So you've actually got one, which surprised me. So was it individual characters or like films like can we say Reservoir Dogs? Yes. So Reservoir Dogs is number three. It doesn't give characters, but it talks about how they made the black suit skinny tie so famous and the easiest thing to do at. A fancy dress party and a lot of these some of there was some of these lists where we're like are you going to a fancy dress party here's a way to just wear your suit and pretend you're someone <laughs> so you've got number four and you've got number three i mean are the other films sort of where the suit like like reservoir dogs and james bond where the suit is like synonymous with the with the actual film or is it like so some of them just like it's a man wearing a nice suit in a film <laughs> i think you're gonna struggle to get two of these one of them i'd say is synonymous with the two characters the two lead males of this Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I was going to say that again. It says two Tarantino films. But that's essentially the same like, as... Same suit, same, same outfit. Same dogs, yeah. I, I assume that's why they're wearing them, because it's a reference. It's a callback to his other <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? When we get round to the film, we'll have to look it up. So that's number two. Number one is an old film. Did not stand out for me, but in so many lists... Casablanca. This was number one. No, Casablanca was in some, though. Uh, is, it, is it as old as that? Uh, no, I think it's 1950, and I'm probably guessing this wrong, it's either 52 or 54. Oh, God. Well, to be honest, the only suit I can think of that I, in my head, remember going, that's a nice suit, is from Crazy Stupid Love. Which was also on some lists. Yeah, I'm not surprised. It's a Hitchcock film. North by Northwest. Oh, oh no. Yes, yeah, North, North by Northwest. Northwest. Yeah, yeah. It's that, yeah, it's Cary Grant's suit. Yeah. yeah the grey suit, yeah. So you know it, you remember it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there's only one more. Ooh. Maybe we need a hint. Terrible suit. Terrible, terrible suit. Why this was in so many lists. And even some of them said, I know it's not for everyone, but it's iconic. So it's terrible. Is it from like a 70s film or something? I think it's 80s. Okay. Scorsese. Goodfellas? No. Taxi Driver? Is there a suit in Taxi Driver? No. (laughs) Scarface, but maybe not. I think it's obviously one of the lesser known Scorsese films. It is Robert De Niro. And it's not Taxi Driver. Clearly, it's one of those films. It's basically Goodfellas. Same length, but not. It's the film Casino. Oh, okay. Uh, He basically, look it up. If you've got got your laptops in front of you, just have a quick look at it. How hideous is that suit? Robert De Niro, and then just type Casino. Oh, it's awful. (laughs) You've got the red one. You'd remember it. You'd remember it, though, wouldn't you? (laughs) It looks like Dumb and Dumber. It does a bit, doesn't it? (laughs) God, it's awful. But yet also amazing. You've not done bad there. Back to you, D. 
Okay, so now it's time for movie or song. I think it's pretty clear which way I'm going. So I'll say it now. Song. Alex, which way are you going this week? Yeah, it's the song, yeah. I feel I feel I will give a bit more of an explanation. Um in that I feel like this is the first song we've ever done where it, it actually tells the story of the film better than the actual film. And I feel like so you literally don't need the film. You, this is the the only example I can think of where the film is just not necessary. Yep. Watch the first film, listen to this song, but don't watch the video. Then watch the third film, and then don't watch the fourth film. Yeah. That's the definitive order. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I don't really know what to explain much about it. The film's shocking. The song's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'd I'd be fine with just one Men in Black, please. No more. So that brings it into another episode of that song from that movie. Let us know which one you think is better, the movie or the song. It's the song, so tell us that on Twitter. Ben, what is our Twitter handle? At TSFTMPod. Nice. You can help the podcast in many ways, including sharing this on a random subreddit. Alex, what should they pick this week? Um, I think it should be Trey Knox, just to kind of see if he, <laughs> if anyone knows who he is. If he was a real person. <laughs> Fair enough. You can also help us by buying our merch going on Patreon and signing up to that or leaving us a five-star review. Links on our social media. So all I have now is to do some goodbye. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Out of the depths of your imagination appears Ben. <laughs> and goodbye from Ben. I could be Agent B. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't mention that, actually. We got all the way to the end did not mention it. Of a film this, this weird, that's the weirdest and shittest moment of the entire film. Yeah. It's the Arctic, isn't it? Something... Which is weird because in International, that's the name of one of the characters. So clearly he doesn't get the job. <laughs> Good. So goodbye, everybody. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Let's see. Let's see what. Let's see what this. Let's see what this tastes like. Not worth it. Not worth it at all. That's disgusting.